Hello, everybody. Welcome to Amaze on Stream. I'm Melissa Simonson, and I'm so excited this week to introduce you guys to Michael Vizi with Amazing FBA. Michael, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you. Pleasure to be on this side of the interview. I'm normally interviewing people uh, for the podcast, so it's really, really nice to, to have a chance to chat to you and relax and let you drive. <laughs> well, I'm excited about that, too, because really... I think a lot of people, you know, when you are doing your podcast, people get to know the people that you're interviewing and they, they learn a lot, um, but maybe they don't know a ton about you. So let's, let's dive right in and, and learn a little bit more about you. Yeah, by all means. Okay. Um, so when we were just, you know, prior to actually hitting record, you were telling me that um, entrepreneurship actually was not natural to you. You had kind of a, a different path to that. So I want to start then with um, your parents. Were your parents entrepreneurs? Really kind of the opposite. My dad was a lawyer, so nothing sort of what I guess um, yeah, ham and eggs lawyers, what John Grisham would call them, or General <laughs> High Street. So, you know, not not at all entrepreneurial, more risk averse. I mean, he worked with some entrepreneurs to help with contracts and stuff, but you go to a lawyer with a contract and they'll find 55 ways your business could fail and things to worry about, which is what you pay them for, but it's not really a very entrepreneurial mindset. My mother was a, a teacher and uh, her mother was a teacher as well. And I think her mother's father was a lawyer. So there are a lot of people that want to be very precise about things and don't take risks and, and get a job and be conventional. So the opposite to an entrepreneurial parent, yeah. I would say. It sounds like they had sort of the very traditional um, career paths. And um, so yeah. when you were growing up, was that an influence on you? Did they kind of um, encourage that for you as well? I guess, yeah, they weren't very uh, prescriptive, I guess, which um, is good and bad. I guess I, overall, I'm grateful that I was allowed to find my own path. Um, the one thing that they did that really influenced me, I suppose, was, well, a few things. First of all, academic achievement was relatively straightforward for me. And I was embarrassed to say that with entrepreneurs because the most entrepreneurs I know, well, a lot of entrepreneurs I know, very successful, are dyslexic, did badly in school, were great at sports. I was terrible at sports in school, <laughs> whereas I was very good at writing and reading and talking. And so there's almost an inverse correlation between those things. It's just weird. So that's one thing. The other thing which kind of is ended up being more entrepreneurial um, was that they both loved uh, music, classical music particularly, and that became also a big influence on me. And that's... Mm -hmm sort of eventually led to my first sort of um, forays into setting up my own organizations and things, I guess. Oh, that's very interesting. So then what, uh, I also wanted to know um, where you guys are from. Like, where, where did you grow up? I'm from a place called Gloucester in the west of England, which um, I guess for Americans was the, the place where you imported some of your accent from with a speaking like that. And we post Kylie Carr in Gloucester. <laughs> So car, we say things like car and Gloucester, like Americans do a little bit. So I love your that, American accent. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's my Gloucester accent. That's my that's the accent of where I'm from. So it influenced I think that in Bristol and places like that influenced the American accent. So that's where I'm yeah. from. So I'm thoroughly English. I, I think I'm like a thirty second Scottish. I have no exotic background at all, which again is almost kind of embarrassing these days in in a world of very diverse people. Like I'm not at all diverse, if you like. So okay. You have a very traditional sort of um, upbringing. You have, um, you know, your, the stage is set really for your parents to, to guide you really in their footsteps. Um, but like you said, it wasn't prescriptive, just kind of the experience that they had. So when you were going to school, what were some of the choices that you were making um, and, you know, that maybe could have led you 
in several different paths? You know, maybe a better question, a better way to phrase that would be, were there any turning points that you can remember in your younger childhood days or your early uh, school days that were pivotal for you in making your choices? Yeah, I think a one example of me being terrible at making decisions and one example of me actually setting stuff up and leading things, uh, which I guess is the beginnings of entrepreneurship. Um, when it came to decision making, I was terrible at making decisions at, at A-levels, as we call it in Britain, when they're about the age of 16, 17, uh, sort of pre-university exams, because you have to specialise like uh, an insect uh, in different, you know, three subjects, maybe four. And for me, that was terrible because I wanted all of it. I was very curious <laughs> and I still am very, very curious about a really wide range of stuff. Um, which is one of the reasons that I really like internet marketing because it touches everything, particularly yeah. e-commerce. My love of geopolitics and you know what's happening between America and and uh, China. You know where's mm -hmm. that going in the next few years is directly relevant to my clients' uh, profit or loss. It's absolutely yeah. relevant, you know, because. Um, if you slap a 30, 40% tariff on something between two countries, that changes profit to loss. So, yeah. you know, that was one of the things where I, I couldn't decide between sciences and arts. And looking back, I'm not surprised. I wanted to do both. So that yeah. was a sort of moment of indecision because I wanted everything and I couldn't have it. One of the things around that kind of time as well that started emerging is that I, I ran the house music competition, which is a sort of inter run by students at the school and sort of we had what they called houses like four little mini fraternities not not like the frats boys kind of thing but <laughs> you know it was just a way to get the students engaged i guess and i remember putting together an orchestra and a choir and leading the choir and and organizing stuff and um that was good fun and i guess sort of putting things together and putting groups together is something that is a pattern throughout my life including in my e-commerce work as well oh that's very interesting it sounds like music is really um really central for you yeah, music's a big, big passion. I guess, like my parents, music's always been a big passion. For me, it was my job for quite a while um, before I got into e-commerce full-time. And um, language is also one of the sort of stock in trades. If you think about it, a lawyer's... Um, you know, medium is language, like an accountant is numbers and, and obviously a language teacher that my mum was. It's all about language. So, um, yeah, those, those are the sort of twin, I guess, um, you know, capability of language and the passion for music. Yeah. Oh, that's amazing. Do you, can I ask this? Do you play any musical instruments? I do. I play the piano um, and I also conduct choirs. In fact, this evening I'm going to go and conduct an amateur choir. So I stick it my hand in. I do a little bit of piano teaching, um, partly so that my wife doesn't because she was working seven days a week. And I said, oh. let me do one of those days to take the strain off you so that you can relax a bit. Yeah. And um, yeah, so I, I accompany things. I used to be a professional French horn player, which is a type of brass instrument in, in wow. orchestras. So yeah, quite a big background in, in music. Oh, that's amazing. And and still classical from your early... Yeah, I, I do have a passion for jazz piano, which is more about improvisation, which again, mm -hmm. sort of links with some of the ways that it, for better and for worse, I've operated in business. Um, and improvisation means you can get started quickly with things, um, which is great. And then it also can mean that you're not very good at structuring things, which is generally very bad. So <laughs> I guess I have a bit of a jazz mentality sometimes as well. And that's something I play on the piano as well. This is why teams are so important, right? <laughs> Absolutely right, <Or> yes. <laughs> In the case of music. Absolutely correct, <laughs> yes. Yeah, you've got to have those balances between touch and personality. And yeah. I was reflecting on that before we came on because I knew you were going to ask me about myself. I thought, oh, no, in some ways everyone likes to talk about themselves, but I'm always kind of embarrassed about my entrepreneurial journey. So I, I, even that phrase sounds too grand for what I've done so far. Right. But I was thinking, 
really, if you're a bit of a risk averse person, but not massively risk averse, as I somewhat am, or, or at least you overthink, maybe overanalyze, as I kind of sometimes do. The solution, as you say, is, is partnerships and teams. I mean, I yeah. think my best partnerships have been with people who just get on with stuff. And then also there's the opposite, which is you've got to have the sustainability about things. And I tend to make stuff up on the fly like an interview situation is very comfort zone because i'm you know yeah. improvising my responses if you will um but there's also the question of how to structure things and, and have longer term projects which you need to find people who are good at that as well so i'm mm. gradually realizing that the way that i can overcome my weaknesses isn't to try and become a different person but to just find different people anyway. right yeah no that's you know it's funny that you bring that up actually there's um one of my Oh my goodness, friends for since I was a kid. I used to work with um, him since I was 15 when I worked for my brother Steve. Um, his name is Michael Pinkowski, and he does this strengths based leadership, and it's based on the Clifton Strengths, which hmm. the whole premise of this is that we've been taught from so long, um, and for I don't even know how long now, from such a young age, though, that you, if you are not good at something, then you need to, you know, raise up to the level so that everything can be the same level of mediocre, right? But Clifton Strengths actually teaches you that instead of leaning harder into your weaknesses to get them passing, that you should let them be weaknesses and lean instead into your strengths and get those astronomical because not everyone has those strengths. So you can leave your strengths mediocre and bring your weaknesses up to match that, or you can really lean into your strengths. And I think that that's, it's so smart. And it's one of the premises I think that um, several big companies now use for their employees uh, when they're trying to place them and build teams together. It's interesting you should say that. I mean, I guess one of the, the things, the stories that I mentioned from school days that I guess I was quite good at being all round and therefore I wanted to stay more sort of broad and all round sort of on the academic right. front for longer than I was allowed to by the education system in, in this country. And it still is similar to that these days. Yeah. Um, and yet as an entrepreneur or would be entrepreneur, I, I don't know, small business owner, let's call me that. Like, even the word entrepreneur sounds too grand compared to, I know a lot of people who, you know, various levels have, have done incredible things. And I'm always, um, embarrassed to, to use that label about myself because um i suppose i get sort of entrepreneurial shame whereas most entrepreneurs i know um had a tough time at school and they're now doing really well as entrepreneurs at least the, you know in waves it, nobody has you know a great decade um without any sort of uh peaks and troughs i guess but I guess my perception or my head trash, if you will, is that I need to be good at some of the stuff they're good at and being more decisive. And, and maybe you're right. You just have to work with who you are. And I guess in yeah. the end, I'm getting there. I, I, when you banged your head against the brick wall a few years in a row, uh, you eventually learn to stop trying to do things that don't work anyway, don't you? But yeah. I guess that system you're mentioning gives you kind of permission or even makes a virtue of it earlier. So yeah. I think that sounds like a really inviting uh, way of thinking. I like it a lot. Yeah. Well, and what, what's interesting, especially given, um, you know, your earlier um, position, you know, when you're going to school and stuff like that, and you, you're really limited on the options. You, you want to learn everything. You are given very specific classes that you have to take to be an expert at, you know, X, Y, or Z, or whatever your uh, major is in your career path that you've chosen. Um, at such a young age that really do we yeah. even know <laughs> yeah for me it was way too early I'm like I wanted sciences and history for example yeah. I still love uh, physics you can tell like even as a, an example my wife gave me this um, mug I don't know if you can see it this it's got the, oh, it's the uh, periodic table. Uh, it's a periodic table which I'm a big fan of and I'm mm -hmm. a big fan of history and, and geopolitics and for me um yeah the kind of mathematical thinking 
and geopolitics both feed very directly into yeah. business success or failure within e-commerce. So there is a, a link between these things, but you just got to find your own link. I guess it's almost like a jazz improvisation. I'm going to take a theme yeah. by Duke Ellington and I'm going to put some crazy chords under it and I'm going to put a different beat to what it was originally. And then suddenly you created something new that's a fusion of different elements. So I guess I'm gradually coming to terms with who I actually am. And instead of having that sort of entrepreneurial shame, like I'm not some kind of person that that is the same as other entrepreneurs i don't have the same drive in some ways or the same ability to follow through and maybe i'm a bit more sensitive or worried than some people or more risk averse i i just i guess it, it comes to partnerships doesn't it as and you, know, you yeah. and i've worked on some partnerships together and i guess that that's the way forward for me i mean for better or for worse that is my nature and i think eventually when you stop fighting yourself yeah to, to the point you made then by the way, i'm still on a journey with that i still judge myself um, and compare myself to others and think I should be more like this classic kind of entrepreneur that we've been led to expect through trillion, you know, podcasts and sort of and indoctrinated. And, yeah. Yeah, and I'm not that kind of guy. I'm not a kind of person that was bad at school and, and plays football and set up a lemonade stand at the age of three. And right. my dad had a business and I worked in it. That, no, that's me at all. And I'm English as well. So I'm not, I'm not even got that American kind of can do thing. So, you know, I just have to be who I am, I guess. That's, I think that's exactly it. What, what I think, uh, you know, it took me many years to learn this. And I, I, for the first while I was like lamenting my, um, you know, the, my own, term you know my own um it felt like way too long that it took me my own journey to get to where I first at my first business even called myself an entrepreneur and second um and CEO of my business that I started so it was legit but I was like but that's like for like important people <laughs> yeah <laughs> like, that's not for me so yeah. um, so that was already difficult but then the the journey just kind of in your own mind of deciding you know even if I'm not um pursuing something right now I do have this entrepreneurial drive to do something that is just me and and I think that that's really what the key is it, it's not about having the same journey as as other people who have this you know, kind of um, traditional, I guess, if you can call entrepreneurs traditional, uh, what we've been led to believe as a traditional path for entrepreneurs to get to. Um, and, you know, I, I think, by the way, that's why I'm doing this podcast, because everyone's journey is so, so different. But what I've realized is that you really have to understand that whatever it is that you're bringing to the table, whatever it is that makes you as a person unique, what you're bringing to your entrepreneurial journey, your entrepreneurial um you know, podcast, whatever it is that you're putting out there, that's why people are watching it. It's not because it's the only podcast in the world. There's a, there's a, a million of them. It's because of, you know, the element that you bring, the guests that you choose, the the personality. And, and so whatever it is business-wise that you're doing, I think that that element, the way that you think about things, that's where the key is. And so if you're leaning into what makes you, you, then that um, that will only impact your business in a positive way, I think. Thank you. Well, I feel like I owe you a coaching fee now for <laughs> helping me overcome my, my reluctance to lean into my strengths here. So thank you very much. I hope other people are, are getting some benefit out of this too, because I will say, um, you know, as we're talking about this, this, this is part of why it is so common to feel, um, you know, imposter syndrome and to compare to others. And, you know, I do interview some people on this podcast who, you know, they started at three years old selling candy, um, at, you know, to their little friends and making, you know, selling for one penny and making two pennies off or whatever. Um, and, and this is, um, this is one of those things that you're just like, wow, that's incredible. And, and it's so clear that you were meant to be an entrepreneur. And they're people who can move mountains with short notice. 
And so when you think like I've started something, I created something from nothing, that in comparison seems very small. But I think what's important to remember is that entrepreneurs are doers. You have ideas, whether it takes you a long time or not, you bring those ideas to life and then don't rely on yourself, I hope, to make the entire thing come um, come to life. I, I think, as we were saying before, a team is necessary. I think you're right. The, the phrase doers is a really interesting one in relation to entrepreneurship because that's another one of my sort of hang-ups. And, and I think it's not wrong to see that entrepreneurs are people who make stuff happen. I, I think that is yeah. absolutely bang on and correct. But what I would say is this, that there is a value to reflection. And that's one of the things, again, it's a partnership thing that maybe I'm better at and naturally given to reflection. Like who would have thought with a lawyer dad and, and a teacher mum that I would be given to reflection? That's crazy. I mean, of course I am. <laughs> I've been trained in it with my mother's milk, literally. But but what I would say is, is that there are people who don't take action and think about entrepreneurship, which was me for like 15 straight years, fantasizing about having a job, if you like, or a business. That's not going to get you business, of course. Yeah. But then the, the next level that I see a lot of people, um, it reminds me of a phrase to quote Anthony Robbins. Sorry, this is a very cliche thing to do on an entrepreneurship program. Um, he says a Japanese proverb, which is action without vision is an, so, so vision without action is a daydream. And that's most of us most of the yeah. time. And, and that included me for a long time. And I tend to err in that direction when I go wrong. And that needs to be overcome, of course, because doing, as you said, is really important. Mm -hmm. But the other half of it is action without vision is a nightmare. And mm -hmm. what I can say for absolute certainty is that the in the private rooms of, of the masterminds we run in London, there are a lot of people who are taking a heck of a lot of action. They're doing vigorous. They're getting results, but they're mostly getting results for their clients who love their products or their, their customers right. and Amazon, who's making a lot of money off them. And they're making a handful of percent of profit. And at that point, the reflection piece is one of the things we do in a master. We, we say, right, you're going to leave your place of business. You're going to travel possibly from the other side of Europe to come to London. And we're going to sit together and we're going to think outside of your business about your business. And mm -hmm. people talk about working on your business, not on your business. Well, that implies you've got to stop doing and start thinking. Yeah. And at that level of things, suddenly the ability to reflect and think, maybe overthink in my case, becomes of actual real value to other people mm -hmm. because they're mostly geared to doing that reflection is an exception to their their routine now and mostly doing and a certain amount of powerful reflection for for me i think that combination is really powerful and so maybe this is how i found my niche i'm the kind of you know maybe i'm always going to be less good at doing than other people but if i help them to reflect on how they're doing that brings massive values to them and and so mm -hmm. that's been really the best thing i've done in business so far i think and that's why i guess yeah i've never really reflected on it with anyone else before but this is maybe why it works you know I think that that's, I mean, maybe a huge insight into yourself right now, because honestly, I think you're absolutely right, people. One thing I absolutely did with my first business, first of all, is um, I just started doing stuff because I, I didn't know what I was doing and I didn't know how. And um, it was like, I mean, supreme level of ignorance. <laughs> and so yeah. I was reading books and I'm like, I'm getting advice from my brother. and um, And even when you're getting answers back, it's with you know this sort of um, premise that you know this much, and so even the the feedback and the information that you're getting is is mildly helpful, but not extremely helpful. Um, and I remember even reading back um, the E Myth after I'd read it the first time, and I was like, okay, I guess this kind of helps. And then years later, with some entrepreneurial knowledge, actually getting something more out of that, it, it's a different read for me each time I go back to it. 
Very um, interesting. That that particular book, I would say, I had the exact same experience. I think I read it in the nineties of all times, like pretty much what after it came out in the late nineties, and it kind of meant something theoretically. And I've reread it, um, you know, almost annually the last few years because yeah. it's just become one of the sort of go-to thought structures or, or frames of reference. And I think it's a good one for again thinking about thinking. It's not necessarily a very practical book. In it's not very how to for an right. e-commerce based entrepreneur because the examples are from physical retail stores and the pie shop and all that stuff. And if you haven't read it, if you're listening, I, I thoroughly recommend it. But yes. it's great at giving that framework of the. If you take nothing else from it, the technician, the manager, and the entrepreneur. I used that just the other day as a sort of reference point for a coaching discussion, and uh, it had immediate effects because people have a framework of reference of thinking about what they do so to the point of doing versus thinking if you have an ability to spend 20 minutes a day thinking about the doing piece and you are develop self-awareness about what it is you're doing like are mm -hmm. you just doing stuff are you building a business are you managing a team that's right. really powerful so i guess yeah self-awareness seems to be a theme that's emerging for today doesn't it i, I guess it's <laughs> something that is less bro culture and more particularly i suppose traditionally a feminine virtue to be self-aware and um, I don't know. Maybe we're both more like on that feminine vibe. Than yeah, I think I mean self-awareness. Honestly, I feel like that's um, it's a strength that is under underrated, really. Mm. And I think that it's it's a big one for you that you you know this this whole um, conversation that we're having. I think is it's insightful for me to learn a little bit more about you. But I think um, this is very telling um, about your strengths, you know, and that actually something that is kind of a weakness for most entrepreneurs is a strength for you. I think that's really important to note because anyone who's listening, um, again, I'm sure everyone who's listening has had imposter syndrome, has felt like a fraud at one point or another, or felt like they didn't measure up to some of the entrepreneurs that they've seen on social media or, um, or just talked to at events. And knowing that you could be underrating a strength of yours that other entrepreneurs struggle with is, is really impactful, I think. So I appreciate that. Um, but I do, I do want to continue with your life journey, if you don't mind. <laughs> um, so I'm curious now, as you're growing up and you're going through school, um, you went, so you had to do like some serious studying because on that side of the pond, you guys have like, you have to like prepare for particular career paths. How does that work? Yeah, well, I guess um, A-levels are traditionally in preparation for university studies. They're, they're, they're academic rather than sort of career-oriented. Um, so I did um, French, German, history and English literature. The only one I really regret is English literature out of that lot. I, I'd say language as an English language is incredibly valuable. And for copywriting and whatever, for marketing, it's incredibly directly useful. Yeah. Um, but English literature, you know, I'm not anti-literature, but I could have lived without analyzing that. I, I kind of wish I'd done physics or something like that mm -hmm. was more numerative uh, or maths or something. But yeah, so that it's, I guess, traditionally seen as academic but then we have quite short degrees in in england in scotland it's different england and wales we have three-year degrees traditionally mm. which is quite short yeah and then suddenly after that you do your vocational training so for example you go and study history for three years and then go and retrain as a lawyer or something that's a common kind okay. of career path here oh wow that's that's interesting it's a little bit different than how we do things over here although i yeah. will say i was not uh, i didn't take a super traditional route in the end myself i i intended to and then in the end i was like this is not for me so i i don't know that um that my own path is uh or that our traditional path is the right one um so tell me about um when you were going to school and you're choosing like this vocational path were you thinking you wanted to have a normal job did you have something in mind that you were 
pursuing at that time? Yeah, not really a normal job. I guess I was pursuing, I was a bit confused about university choices. Again, I wanted to keep things broader than we're able to. And I know that in Scotland, as we do in, I think, the US and in many countries around the world, you have a broader sort of base of subjects in the first year or two at university or college or school or as you call it there mm-hmm. um followed by the getting more narrow and that's more or less what i wanted to do and that wasn't really an option so i'd have so i started off um doing a languages degree and although i have a, uh, an ability in languages i started doing french and german and i do speak fluent german but I, I kind of wasn't that passionate about it whereas music was a passion even though i was good at music i had a a, a talent for it but not necessarily quite as much as for for languages but ended up switching over to do music which is um not the obviously it's it's a classic thing that one should not be doing arts as a as a as a job i mean i think there are many many artists and particularly composers and classical music writers over the decades and centuries who have been told by their parents to go and become doctors or lawyers and have ended up becoming you know poets and music writers so i guess my parents didn't object strongly because they love music but nevertheless, the, the answer to your question, what is the career path in that? Well, career paths in performing arts are quite messy. So there was no clear cut, after I do this, I'm going to do that. But there was a, basically an aim to become a professional performer. And quite early on, I decided I wanted to become an orchestra conductor because being the boss looked attractive and, and sexy and fun. And, and yeah, you get to hold that stick. <laughs> you get to hold the stick, yeah. Which is the whole, yeah. You get to, yeah, there is something about wielding the stick that feels a little bit like an expelliarmus moment. When it works really right. well, you almost feel like a wizard because you, you bring the stick down in a certain kind of way and you get a certain response once you've trained people and if you know what you're doing and if you've got a good orchestra and 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 it's very conditional but when you get it right there is a kind of magic about it just for like with entrepreneurship you click a button and, and you send a, a load of emails and then suddenly money rolls in and right. of course if you don't set everything up right nothing happens it's yeah. the same thing but there is a kind of magic <laughs> about both situations where there's a kind of form of there's almost a feeling of magic about it and there, there is something about um e-commerce and and internet-based marketing in particular that has something of the same magic that the conducting had the same allure which is you, you kind of have you're controlling with a small movement a very powerful outcome yeah oh yeah oh and by the way extra points for the harry potter reference that just yeah thank you yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah well there is well there is something about yeah i mean i guess that like, conducting is the closest you get to waving a magic wand and actually getting paid for it you know so it's pretty cool from that so okay, so you had this idea you wanted to you wanted to be the conductor, and um, and so what did you pursue once you completed your studies? What were you pursuing in that um, kind of general pursuit? Because you wanted to do something where you're performing, and that was sort of the larger goal. But what what were you doing to pursue that? So specifically, I went and did a, a postgrad. Uh, so I guess I, I guess you would have a similar sort of path in the, in the states or other countries like that. That uh, in French horn playing, which was to be part of an orchestra professionally. And the reason I did that was uh, I knew already that I wanted to be conductor, but I didn't think again, it's imposter syndrome kicking in, but mm-hmm. I didn't feel ready. And I felt that I should be, you know, if you're like a technician within that situation before I then tried to promote myself right. to being a manager. And um, so a few years later, I did go and study conducting, but it was rather late in the day because there's a quite harsh uh, so competitions um, for professional classical performers, probably similar to ballet and a lot of other sort of traditional routes. Um, have a pretty harsh age limit and so I really didn't leave myself enough time by doing that so if I did it all again I'd go straight for what I wanted rather mm. than going a sort of another route um I mean you never know how things are going to pan out but I, I guess that would be my sort of quick summary of the next steps really yeah 
No, that makes sense. I mean, I think that kind of feeds into the same kind of thing where a lot of entrepreneurs get into this, you know, analysis paralysis. Do I need to know more before I do something? Do I need, hmm. you know, am I just stalling? Is this procrastination? You know, it, it, it comes in so many different forms. I think this is um, maybe not on the entrepreneur side of things, but I think it's still relevant in that type of mindset, you know? Hmm. Yeah, I think so. I and mean, I think, um, the equivalent would be if I'm going to sell face cream, I need to learn how to make face cream and be a chemist. I mean, right. yeah, you know what? You probably would make amazing face cream, but that's not necessarily the only path. And so right. I suppose I put a very, very high, but I think ironically, because I respected the profession I was aiming for so much conducting that I put too high a barrier on myself to achieve it. Mm -hmm. um, and I think entrepreneurs sometimes do that. I mean, quite often mm -hmm. they do the opposite. They don't have enough respect for the fact that if you're going to sell supplements, you should know some stuff about biochemistry and you mm -hmm. should, um, you should go to the gym and, and be good at what you do. Um, <laughs> Or or hire a person who does. But I mean, you know, a lot of people fall into the trap of of not doing enough stuff and, uh, you know, enough stuff. What do I mean? I mean, not doing not understanding the nuts and bolts of the area they're right. trying to be, become a leader of some kind in. But um, the opposite can be true as well. And I think that traditionally women are seen as falling into the trap of being overly conscientious and lacking confidence relative to men who just run around the world doing stuff without knowing what they're doing. Right. And I've done elements of both, but I think I fall more on the traditionally female side of trying to be perfectionist before I move. Mm -hmm. And I think there is a balance to be struck that's really hard and there's no magic answer, but there is a balance in the middle that if you find that sweet spot that for entrepreneurship is about right, which is to say, if you're too perfectionist, somebody else will spot the opportunity before you do. And by the time you enter the market, you have a perfect product, but it's too late. Mm -hmm. And then the opposite is true, which is if you launch with a terrible product and poison a load of people and get sued, that's like the opposite extreme. But you know what I mean? That that can also backfire pretty heavily. And in a less extreme way, you have a terrible product, you get one star reviews on Amazon and your product is finished. That's quite <laughs> common as well. We're getting a deep dive into the mind map of analysis paralysis right now. <laughs> hmm. No, I think that, that um, it's, it's very valid. And I think it's something that uh, sellers struggle with. And especially right now, like, I think one of the big things that's on people's minds right now that kind of is like, do I, do I wait? Do I go is trying to, um, trying to figure out like a, a good schedule for like their inventory management and, you know, um, getting their products shipped because there's so many delays. And so you're trying to say, okay, do I take the risk and order extra um, and then kind of slow drip it from my 3PL. And so there's a there's a risk that you're taking in order to be more secure to keep your listing um, on page one or whatever, because if you run out of stock, of course, you're gonna lose your ranking. Or, you know, do I be conservative about this and just hope that everything works out because I'm, you know, tight on cash flow and, you know, so I, I think that there's always that in from so many different angles, whether it's from inventory management or, um, you know, what you were just mentioning before, or even outside of entrepreneurship and outside of Amazon selling, you know, do I pursue my overall goal and just go straight for it? Or do I you know, really learn everything I can about it because I also love doing that. And, and I think there's so many things that go into that. You know, I think personality is a big part of it. I think outside influences and, um, you know, your environment and how you grew up. I think all of that plays into it. Also, a big one, I think, and, and I'd love your feedback on this, the, the people you surround yourself with. You know, people say that the five people closest to you have the biggest impact on who you're going to be and, and how successful you're going to be. Um, so I think that I think that that is true. And I think that, that has an impact on whether we act or whether we wait. What do you think? 
Yeah, I think that's very true. And I think what is interesting is for a lot of us transitioning into entrepreneurship, certainly true for me, as you gather from my background, but for many, many people out there, um, their natural peers, as in the people that were kind of of a similar income bracket and the people they hung out with the most, have no idea about um, online entrepreneurship and not much idea mm. about entrepreneurship. And they certainly haven't got a Scoobies about the, the sort of e-commerce specifics. And that's why a mastermind can be a really powerful thing if it's the right people and well run. Um, I Because I really think that otherwise you just have no chance to even reflect with, never mind emulate uh, people in the same kind of, we're aiming for similar things and in the same you know mm -hmm. environment. So I think, I think it's really critical. I think peer groups... Um, are interesting because they work in a less conscious way if you hire a coach it's because you know that you need a coach probably if you hire um you know specific consultant and if you're smart you will get a you know a, a, a fractional cfa or at least a good accountant in mm -hmm. and and that's for a specific reason but a mastermind is harder to sell i find because articulating the value is harder because it happens at an almost unconscious level you start to be enthused by and inspired by stuff you also have sibling rivalry that kicks in like you're all brothers and sisters if you're like in a big family and you go mm -hmm. why is that guy's not as smart as i hasn't worked as hard and has been in business for half the length of time particularly <laughs> for men not only but men particularly it's like why am i like, like that and it's kind of a, a primitive almost unconscious desire to be the top dog you know to, to use right. another sort of animal tribal metaphor and that's a really powerful um motivator and 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 reason why people succeed or fail and this is one of the secrets for why do teenagers do what they do it's not really about their parents at that point it's peer influences mm -hmm. why people get into smoking or drugs or suddenly go from being a terrible student to really being inspired it's because a friend of theirs or their peer group really gets into something so i think that's a really powerful mechanism to yeah. to invoke if you like i don't think it's as conscious as i'm going to get my finances in order by hiring an accountant it's like join a peer group and then let the dynamics work on you and influence right. you yeah. Oh my gosh. I think that's so true. I really, it's just let it happen because if you are surrounding yourself by those people, you can't help, but, um, but have their energy rub off on you. And, you know, you're, as long as you're all interested in the same thing, then, you know, you have something to talk about. And so that gets you excited and, and you kind of feed off each other. So, so um, I'm curious now, what, how is it that you got from music then and, and pursuing this orchestra um, or, or a conductor kind of, um, career path to now where you are doing a podcast and you're fully integrated into the e-commerce community where, where did that transition take place yeah, a crazy move um <laughs> i guess what happened is is that i was uh, pitched into it to put it bluntly but i'm now i was in a community of people that was being trained in how to market themselves as coaches mm -hmm. and i was you know coaching in music and um enjoyed that and and i guess part of me from about the age of 25, having sort of immersed into the world a couple of years out of university and realizing that I was likely to spend the rest of my life teaching beginners um, musical instruments if I was not careful. And that the reality of, you know, it's a bit like trying to be an author, which is a much more mainstream than trying to be a conductor, right? Most people will not become J.K. Rowling, to reference Harry Potter again, mm -hmm. um, and make, you know, <laughs> half a billion dollars or something. They, they will actually make $5,000 a year if they actually publish, which is maybe 1% of authors. And then of that 1%, maybe 1% will make a living wage from it. And I, I know a few published authors and a lot of published business authors now, of course. But, um, you know, so I guess when reality bites, the question is, well, what do you do next? And and I was thinking, well, actually, I don't want to spend all my life, um, you know, just doing a conventional path of, of teaching one-to-one -one in schools with kids who don't really want to learn. Um, I love teaching, but I love teaching people who want to learn and are eager mm -hmm. and hungry for it. 
And yeah, so I, I started from about the age of 25-ish, so like my mid-20s, investigating, having a sort of side hustle, if you like, of some kind of a business. And that's really how I got into entrepreneurship. And then e-commerce came out of that because the person who was teaching people how to sell their own um, abilities as coaches um, mm. transitioned his whole group wholesale basically because of a very sweet affiliate deal. I think he saw the dollar signs, to be honest, and <laughs> sold uh, about 300 of us into um, a... I will not name the the uh, program because I'll probably say a couple of rude things about it as well as good things um, <laughs> to sell on Amazon. And, uh, you know, got launched uh, in my first actual business that made money and profits. Wow, that's amazing. And so do you mind if I ask, I don't know if this is still an active product or brand for you. Um, what category of product were you selling at that time? Yeah, that's no longer active for me. But yeah, the first product category you might not be surprised to learn was in music because it's something I knew about and cared about. And Shocking. I think the knowing, yeah, the knowing <laughs> about it was a good thing. The, the caring about it um, is, a, I mean, if you care about music, but you're producing a product that is a physical product for a very specific use, I guess it probably helps more if you care about physical products. And that's mm -hmm. one nuance that if I were going to sort of look back and, and do it all again, I guess I would say going into market where I understood the use case and the needs of the audience was a very good move. But developing my own product, I was trained to do it that way. But doing it again, it's pure private label product back in 2014. Right. And if I did it all again, I'd probably get away from pure private label much earlier. And I would, you know, work with or partner with in some form somebody who really was passionate about physical product development which is right strength. yeah i think honestly I, I think that there's so many ways to go about this i think the the one thing that is sold super often right now is you know have your own private label build your own brand have your own product line and um and it, you know there's two schools of thought on whether it's important or not to be passionate about the product that you are mm -hmm. selling i think if you don't care <laughs> and you just you know that like you can do the math and you can you know do the PPC and you you understand the fundamentals of inventory management and sourcing and stuff like that, then you can get a product to sell regardless of what the product is, because you're probably hiring out the branding and the, um, you know, social media and, and stuff like that, that makes it um, passionate, that makes it fun. So the person who is actually passionate about that product really should be partnering with them to come up with the sourcing, the ideas for the product to make sure that it's, it's a workable product and it solves the problems that the customer is looking at and can then do something like, you know, some social media, TikTok videos, you know, lessons, right? You could do TikTok lessons with whatever the instrument is that you're selling and somebody else can be managing the actual sales. I think that, you know, we, we really need to step away from looking at this as a one dimensional way to do things and think about it, you know, just like you were saying, there's more than one way to look at this um, and to lean into your strengths where uh, I think so far it's been given to us as sort of a template move. I agree with that. I think when it comes to creating a private label or these days more of a custom product business, um, I do think it matters. I think the correlation between the people I know who've done really, really well and actually really care about the products themselves, the product development and their functionality and their beauty and so forth. Yeah. I think it really matters. And mm -hmm. if that's not you personally, uh, to your point, 
doesn't have to be one person. I mean, I'm right. not a product person. So I'm not going to ever again try to create a product-based business where I am the product development guy because I mm -hmm. just don't care about it enough and I don't have the skill set to develop. Right. I don't have the skill set already and I don't care enough to develop it. Whereas I, weirdly enough, do care about cash flow projections. That actually makes me quite excited, which is quite weird, but it's my nerdy analytical it? side. You know, cash flow projections and, cash and things flow like that. You know. projections, of course. I'm, I'm, not saying I have, <laughs> I'm not saying I have a great accounting uh, background and I would be wise to work with people who are accounting experts, but at least I have an interest in developing that. And mm. the whole sort of business strategy and the marketing and branding where I do have the the uh, right. you know the background and skill set really interests me. So I'm now working with a couple of people to develop sort of co some kind of joint ventures, whether we'll own it when there's discussions, it's fairly early stages with, you know, what's the ownership structure and, and is it revenue share, is it profit share, is it pure agency, whatever it is. Um, the point is that kind of partnership with people who are really obsessed with and really mm -hmm. expert at the product development side. In some cases, they've done qualifications and on their factories at Jumpsuit Hoots, it would take me years mm -hmm. to get. I mean, that's super smart. And I'm so to your point about, you know, leaning into your strengths and recognizing weaknesses. I mean, I guess my, my biggest failures really have come from trying to do everything because I was taught that's how I was supposed to do it. And, right. and the strengths have come from, you know, the, the wins have come from not following a course and following my natural inclination it's gotta be right it's gotta be when you do what feels right things work out um and you know of course not everything is always going to work out but i think it is much more likely to work out when you are leaning into your strengths than if you're trying to duplicate what somebody else is being successful at um so tell me then how how did you go from selling this product based business now you're you're telling me that you're looking into you know some partnerships and things like that what about your podcast where did that enter into things well, I guess I've always enjoyed, um, that was another one of the, the many sort of careers that I considered in, in my youth, if you like that. Um, I always enjoyed listening to Radio 4 quality um, non-fiction radio, um, because unlike TV, which is all about kind of shock and awe, and if you're going to have a, a podcast about the economy, you have to keep showing photos of people making stuff in factories. And I kind of feel like I know what factories look like. It doesn't add anything to me. Right. Actually, so I feel radio is a stripped down, simple medium that communicates more value in a shorter time than things like TV or now YouTube or whatever. And I feel that that and books are kind of my favorite thing. So when I started listening to some podcasts, when I was educating myself about the Amazon business, and I, I listened to some things, I thought I could do this. And I thought you know, I'd scratch another itch that I'd never got around to scratching and, and be, you know, do my own radio thing. And I was talking about it to anyone who would listen anyway. And so I thought, well, why don't I just record my thoughts? So I did my own sort of uh, show, just just sort of solo episodes for a, a few months. And then um, uh, somebody got in touch with me and um, sort of put me into a private mastermind he was running. And he had a ton of contacts that he was very generous about sharing mm -hmm. with me for a while. So I got launched with doing things through interviews and then it becomes self-perpetuating after a while now in the fortunate position where a lot of people reach out to us and we we have to have sort of templates and, and application forms and stuff to get on the podcast because um people know about it now so potential guests approach us generally these days or i've bumped into them via other guests and they've introduced me so that's how it all got started that's amazing it's see this i, I love these ones where we talk about something and it's just sort of this naturally evolving process something you're interested in you try a thing out it sort of starts to build on its own which tells you you know you're leaning into the right area and then you can kind of build from there um i i'm really i love your podcast i love um you know several of the guests that you've had on there i really enjoy and i know personally um and i am excited to uh, to continue to watch you grow on that um i want to 
quickly let people know real quick um, what what they would do if they want to get in touch with you, if they want to um, chat with you about, you know, consulting services or about um, Amazon or sorry, Amazing FBA, how would they reach you to do that? Sure. So they want to hear the podcast, just look for Amazing FBA or the 10K Collective podcast, which is the, the content which is geared to six, seven, eight to figure Amazon sellers, which is basically the same thing now. I won't get into my attempt at rebranding that didn't really work. So either will get <laughs> you the same thing. Um, and then if you want to work with me, I mean, one to one, I generally uh, I will work with people in the startup phase who are pre-revenue, but you're more like way more likely to get value from a coach, including me, if you already have um, some kind of traction. Um, so uh, just go to amazingfba.com forward slash mentoring to apply for that. And then if you want to join the masterminds, we've got one for those doing at least about in dollar terms, about forty fifty thousand dollars $50,000 a month. And um, many of the, most of the people are based in Europe because we have meetings every two months in Germ in London, um, I should say, so London, England. So it's probably helpful to be on the right side of the pond for that. And uh we are about to start a mastermind for people doing just six figures a year. So about eight, eight, nine thousand dollars a month upwards. Um, for the established mastermind, go to www.theamazonmastermind.com. Amazingly, Amazon's lawyers have not got in touch, so I've still got that URL. And um, for the uh, new mastermind for the lower uh, sellers doing just six figures, sort of bare six figures, eight thousand dollars a month or so, just email me, Michael at amazingfba.com. M I C H A E L at amazingfba.com. That's amazing. Thank you so much for that, Michael. And I want to give you a special thank you. You know, it's not easy to dive in deep and to get personal and especially where, you know, we were talking about some mindset things and really self-discovery. So I really appreciate you being open and vulnerable to have that discussion. Hopefully the people who are listening will get a lot out of that. Thank you. Yeah, it's, it's a, a little bit scary, but actually it's interesting to dive into because the more I get on with this stuff, I think it's not just an abstract thing to say that mindset matters. It's obvious that mindset yeah. matters in a level, but in what particular ways is the interesting thing. And I think self-awareness is, as we've discussed, and I think I've kind of realized through today's discussion a little bit more than I did before, is really important. And I think that's, yeah. that's true for my clients who are you know, actively building very big and, and healthy e-commerce businesses, that mm -hmm. that is not a side issue, it's a central issue. You've got to know who you are and lean into your strengths. Oh, yeah. so your point of permission for leaning into strengths. So thank you for putting that message out there. I, I'm a grateful recipient of that and hopefully the listeners are as well. Awesome, thank you so much, Michael. I really appreciate your time today. And for you guys, we'll see you next week on Amazon Stream. Thanks so much, take care.